Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. We're studying the holiness of God. The question that should come to your mind is, if the sinless angels have to cover their faces in weakness before God's holiness and cover their their feet in shame before His infinite holiness, then how can you and me, sinful people, ever hope to stand before such a holy God? How can we who are sinful ever hope to be able to come into the presence of infinite holiness. And before we're finished today, I trust we will have a satisfactory answer to that question. As we're looking at God's holiness, we are seeking to define God's holiness in three ways. First, we said God's holiness is His absolute superiority, His infinite superiority and otherness. God is on a different different level of existence than His creatures. He's the Creator. Secondly, we saw that God's holiness is His perfect purity and absolute moral uprightness. Now today we're going to look at the third aspect of God's holiness, and that is, God's holiness is His infinite hatred of all sin. As much as God loves righteousness, He hates unrighteousness. In His extreme holiness, it requires his extreme hatred of all sin. How can God love righteousness infinitely and not also infinitely hate sin? How can a God who is perfect purity not be repulsed at impurity and filth? God's hatred of sin must equal His holiness for Him to be perfect. And how much do you think God loves righteousness? You think He loves it just a little bit? You think He loves it a great deal? Or do you think He loves it infinitely? How much do you think He hates sinfulness? You think He hates it just a little bit? You think He hates it a great deal? Or do you think He hates it infinitely? For God to be perfect, and He is, He must hate unrighteousness as much as He loves righteousness. He must love holiness and hate unholiness just as much. God loves everything that is in conformity to to His Word and loathes 
everything that is contrary to it. In Isaiah, God's talking to the people of Israel. Because of their sinfulness, they have brought the judgments of God upon them. And Isaiah says, but the Lord of hosts will be exalted in judgment. He is even exalted when He pours forth His judgments because in doing so, He is lifting up His holiness. And the holy God will show Himself holy in righteousness. So every much, every bit as much as God loves righteousness, He must hate unrighteousness. And God's holiness is His violent reaction to all that is unholy. Now we're going to look today at God's hatred of sin. And we're going to look at it from five different angles. First, we can see His hatred for sin in the words that He uses to talk about His reaction to sin. Next, we can see God's hatred of sin in the sacrificial system He set up in the Old Testament. Thirdly, we can see God's hatred of sin by the judgment that He pours forth on sinners. Fourthly, we can see God's judgment, His hatred of sin, on the judgment that He pours on believers in this life because of their sins. And then fifthly, most of all, we can see the holy hatred of God over sin at the cross of Christ. Alright, first, we can see God's holy hatred of sin in the words that He uses to speak of His reaction to sin. Over in Psalm 5, verse 5, we read, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. The word hate means to hate violently. When the Holy Spirit was moving Moses to write about Joseph's brothers and their feelings toward him that led them to want to kill him and to actually plot to kill him and throw him in a pit and they were going to leave him there to die until one of the brothers came up with another idea, let's make some money off of it, and they sold him into slavery. When the Holy Spirit was leading Moses to write about this, the word that he chose to express that deep feeling that led to them wanting to kill Moses was this same word, hate, that's used in Psalm 5, in this verse 5. The same word that describes God's feeling toward those who do iniquity. In verse 6 of the same psalm we read, The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. Abhors. Now in the Hebrew, that word means to loathe. It means to detest. It means to reject. It means to be abominable. God abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. And Zechariah, God says that he even hates the first sparks in the imagination of the evil. Also, let none of you 
devise evil in your heart against one another. And do not love perjury. For all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. God hates even the first sparks of imagination of evil in the mind of the sinful man. Just his thinking about committing evil, God says he hates. And then in Amos chapter 5, we see God hates sin so much that even activities that are designed to bring pleasure to God, when they're done by sinful people, by sinful motives, God says, I hate them. Amos chapter 5, we read, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. God had told them to do these things. They were to be done to bring delight to God. But for some reason, they're not. What is the reason? Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God says, because the people of Israel were in blatant sin and unrighteousness, He says, even those things that should bring pleasure to me, when you do them, they make me sick. They are loathsome to me. You come and sing your songs, and yet you live in willful disobedience to me, it makes me sick. You come and offer your burnt offerings, and yet you offer them from a heart that is estranged from me, a heart in rebellion against me, instead of bringing me pleasure, they make me nauseous. We can see God's strong reaction, His holy hatred for sin, in the words used to describe His reaction to sin. In contrast to that, look at how you and I don't violently react. To sin. Not in our own lives, nor in the lives of others. You allow things on your television today that you would never thought you would let into your home 10 years ago. Or 20 years ago, would you? We get acclimated. Rather than having a strong reaction, we just kind of look the other way and figure, well, that's just the way things are. But let me tell you, God has a holy hatred for all sin. His righteousness and holiness demanded. Secondly, we can see God's holy hatred of all sin in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Now the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That when a person sins, what they deserve is physical death and spiritual death. You remember, God told Adam in the garden that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
which would be an act of disobedience to me, you will surely die. And the second Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they began to die physically, and they died spiritually. The payment for sin is death. That's what it means when it says the wages. The payment of sin is death. God's holiness demands His hatred of sin. Sin must be punished. And when God established a nation to be His own people, and He would be their God, He wanted to impress upon them the wages of sin is death. He wanted to press upon them His holiness, and that His holiness requires the punishment of all unholiness and all sin. That they deserve death because of their sins against Him. And so He set up a sacrificial system. He says we will take a one-year-old lamb and we will kill that lamb. We will cut its throat, let its blood drain out, and then burn it on the altar. It will be a reminder to you that you should have been killed, not that lamb. I'm letting that lamb take your place. But you're the one who deserves death because you sinned against me, a holy God. This is to remind you of that, of my infinite holiness. Now how often do you think God would set up to remind them of their sinfulness and His holiness. You think once a month might be enough? Once a month, maybe the first day of the month, they'd all come together and kill that lamb, cut its throat, shed its blood, burn it, and remind them, I should be up there. That should be my blood being spilled because I've sinned against the Holy God. Once a month, maybe? What about once every two weeks? Would that be enough? What about once a week? Maybe on every Sabbath day, We'll come and take that one-year-old lamb, we'll cut its throat, let its blood shed in front of all of us, and we'll be thinking, that ought to be my blood. I deserve to die, not that one-year-old lamb. Maybe once a week, would that be enough? Well, let's see what God said over in Exodus chapter 29, beginning in verse 38. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar, two one-year-old lambs each day, continuously. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And there shall be one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of beaten oil, and one-fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering with one lamb. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and shall offer with it the same grain offerings and the same drink offerings as in the morning, for a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord." It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you and speak to you there. Twice a day. Every morning. Every evening. They were to take that one-year-old lamb, cut its throat, let its blood drain out, and then put it on the fires of the altar to impress upon them 
the holiness of their God. And that they deserve to die because of their sinfulness against Him. Every day, twice a day, seven days a week, every month of every year, for every decade, for every century, for over a thousand years. They were to offer this burnt offering before the Lord, reminding them their God is a holy God who hates sin. And sin must be punished by death. The fires of the altar in Israel never went out. They burned continually. And as one would walk past the tabernacle or the temple in later days and see the fires of the altar burning, it was to be a reminder of them of the holy wrath of their God burning continually against sin. A continual reminder. So we can see God's holy hatred of sin clearly in the sacrificial system. God hates sin as much today as He did the day He instituted the sacrificial system. You think He hates it any less today? Preaching on sin may have cooled off, but God's holy hatred of sin has not cooled one degree. Thirdly, we can not only see God's hatred of sin in the words He uses to describe His reaction to sin, not only can we see it in the sacrificial system, but thirdly, we can see it in the judgments that God brings on those who sin. How God must have hated sin if He was willing to destroy all life on the planet except Noah and his family during the days of the flood as the hearts of men were continually evil, and they just continued to imagine evil things to do, and God said, that's enough. How God must have violently hated and detested the sins of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah to send forth His fire and kill the men, women, and children, and animals in these two cities. How abhorrent sin must be to our God if He is going to pour forth His horrendous judgments on the Christ rejecting during the last days of human history as He pours out the bowls of His wrath and malignant cancerous sores appear on those who have rejected Him. As He pours forth in the fifth trumpet of His wrath demonic creatures that come and torment Mankind for six months, people will beg to die, but God won't let them. They'll try to commit suicide, but they won't be able. How much God must hate sin if He sends a scorching heat with the sixth bowl, fourth bowl of His wrath, and it's on such an unbearable heat. Hundred pound hailstones fall from the skies. How much God must hate sin. Because of the judgment He pours on unrepentant sinners. Fourthly, we can see God's holy hatred of sin in the temporal judgment He brings on His people who sin. 
As a Christian, we will not have to face the wrath of God in eternity over our sins. But let me tell you, God is not mocked. What a man sows, that shall he reap. And don't think you can ignore sin in your life and not experience the temporal judgments of a holy God. It almost seems like God punishes sin worse in the lives of His people than in the unbelievers. You remember Moses? He simply hit the rock rather than speaking to it, but God said, you will not go into the promised land now because you did that. You remember Jonah? Disobeyed God, wouldn't go to Nineveh. God had a storm chase him. Threw him, in and had a, threw him into the sea and had a, a large fish swallow him up. Those other sailors on that ship were worse than Jonah. But they didn't experience being swallowed up by a whale. What about those Philistines that took the Ark of the Covenant? And when it was brought back, the men of... Uh, of Beth Shemesh looked into it and over 50,000 of them were killed. Uzzah touched it and he died. Minor judgments were given to the Philistines compared to that. Seems that God even pours out His judgment more. Ananias and Sapphira were killed because they lied against the Holy Spirit. Jesus rebuked the Philistines, but never to the extent He rebuked Peter, when he said, Satan, get behind me. So we can see God's holy hatred of sin in the way that He pours forth His temporal judgments on His own people who sin willfully. Make no mistake, God hates sin in the life of those who will not fall under His eternal anger but they will experience His temporal judgments. We need to detest sin in our life every bit as much as God detested in us. We need to say, Lord, search my heart. Know me. Show me any sinful way in me. And lead me into the way everlasting. And then fifthly, most of all, we can see God's hatred of sin in the death of Jesus on the cross. Now if you're going to understand the death of Jesus and how it was a display of the holy hatred of God over sin, then you've got to see it from the right perspective. You cannot see it from the perspective that evil men somehow overruled the purposes and intents of God and killed His Son against what He would desire and want to happen. Rather, you must see it from the biblical perspective given to us in Acts chapter 2, when Peter says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the Roman soldiers, and the peoples of Israel. To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined 
predetermined to occur. What happened to Jesus at the crucifixion was not sinful man run amok, but it was the predetermined plan and purpose of holy God. They could do nothing to Jesus that was outside the sovereign will of God the Father. Yes, they were sinful men. Yes, they were running amok. No, God didn't make them do it. They were acting out of their own sinful, selfish, brutal natures. But yes, God was in control. Because God was pouring forth His holy hatred of sin on His Son. How abominable must sin be for God to punish His Son to the utmost degree on the cross. All the other judgments of God on sin come on those who deserve it, on sinful people. But on the cross, God is pouring forth His judgment on sin on the innocent Jesus Christ. His innocent Son. The cross of Christ expresses the full fury of a holy God being poured forth on His Son. The One who from eternity had laid the foundations of the world had been the object of the Father's divine delight, who had been blessed forever, became a curse. His own Son must bear the full weight of His holy hatred toward sin. As God was pouring forth His holy wrath over sin on the Lord Jesus Christ, He did not let up one degree... It was ever bit as much as His infinite fury and wrath will be on every sinner who spends an eternity in hell. Every bit as much. He didn't let up. Not one degree. Because His holiness demands that sin be punished. And oh, how the holy hatred of the Almighty God over our sins was seen that day at Calvary. Sinful men, as cruel and mean as they were, could not adequately dispense the divine wrath of God on Jesus. And we read in Isaiah 53, But the Lord was pleased to crush Him, putting Him to grief. Sinful men were unable to pour forth A wrath that was strong enough to satisfy the demands of holy God. And so God Himself vented His full, undiluted fury over sins on the Lord Jesus Christ. All of an eternity of sin... An everlasting suffering of hell over all the sins of God's people were compressed into three hours. 180 minutes. God poured that concentrated fury of hell for an everlasting time for the sins of His people on His Son. How much he must hate 
sin. God's holiness demands His punishment of all those who are guilty. In our passage in Revelation chapter 4, we see in verse 3, And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance. The sardis stone was the red stone. The fiery red stone. I believe symbolizing the holy wrath of Almighty God. And he goes on to say, And there was a rainbow around the throne, an emerald in appearance, and around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. In verse 5, Out from the throne comes flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. This is a throne of judgment that we see. And that's why later on in the next chapter, in the midst of that throne, we see a lamb standing as if his throat has been slit. It's a throne of judgment. There are one of two places that every person who has ever lived, that includes you and me, there are one of two places that every person who has ever lived will experience this holy hatred of God over their sins. Every one of us. It's one of two places that we will experience it. Either in hell, the book of Revelation calls it the lake of fire, as we read. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There will be burning, there will be agony, there will be gnashing of teeth, there will be pain that will last Forever and ever and ever. The Bible says the smoke of their torment rises up forever and ever. Day after day. There is no rest. There is no break. But the sufferings of hell will be forever and ever and ever and ever. Because they have offended an infinitely holy God, their suffering will be infinite. It's only what they deserve. It's only what... I deserve. It's only what you deserve. So either you will experience the holy wrath of a holy God over your sins in hell, or you will experience it in the cross of Jesus as He was that Lamb in your place that was slain. You see, that sacrificial system was just pointing to Jesus. It was not only to remind them of their sinfulness and God's holiness, but it was to tell them someday God's going to provide the ultimate lamb that will die in their place. The Bible says it in many different ways. Peter says it this way, For Christ also died for sins once for all. The just, that's Him. For the unjust, that's us. So that we might be brought near to God. Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Peter again says it this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
By His wounds you were healed. John says it this way, And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the appeasing sacrifice for our sins. God looked on the Lord Jesus there on the cross, and when God poured out His anger, it was satisfied. It was spent over my sins and over the sins of His people. So Jesus experienced the hell that I deserve for me. And if you're a Christian, He experienced the hell you deserve. So you wouldn't have to do it. Paul says it in the way that I really love, and we referred to this verse last week, but I want to just spend a few more moments on it this week. 2 Corinthians 5.21 It says, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might have the righteousness of God in Him. Now let's look at this. First, He. Who is He? God the Father. Made Him. Who is Him? Jesus the Son, who knew no sin. Jesus was sinless. He never sinned. Therefore, He could take our place. To be sin. That means God put our sin, the sin of His people, on the back of Jesus on the cross. Why? On our behalf, Jesus was our substitute. So that, for what purpose? That we, Christians, those who have placed their faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, that we might become the righteousness of God. We are given the perfect righteousness, the perfect holiness of God. In Him. In our union with Christ, we are given His perfect righteousness. Your sins will be punished by a holy God. God's holy wrath will be dispensed and poured out on your sins. The only question is where will you experience that? Will it be in hell for eternity? Or will it have occurred on the cross in Jesus? Did Jesus take your place? You say, well, preacher, I don't know if He took my place. How, how can I know that? You can know it if you come to Him and say, Jesus, I want you to take my place. I believe that you, you died for my sins, and, and I trust that what you did was everything necessary for me to have my sins paid for, to me to have my sins forgiven, and for me to have a place in eternity with you. I'm counting on what you did. And I surrender my will to you as my Lord. I am no longer the boss of my life. You are my Lord. I give myself to you. All that I am, I give to you. Jesus says, all who call upon me, I'll in no wise cast any out. If you'll come to him, he says, I'll receive you. So you can know if he took your place, if you're willing to come to him in faith and surrender, that's all. You don't earn it. 
You can't pay for it. You don't deserve it. It's a free gift. Now why would anybody want to spend eternity in hell when they can spend eternity in heaven? I don't have the answer to that question. Other than the stubborn sinfulness of mankind. Our rebellion is so deeply ingrained in our being that we deny the reality of hell. We deny the reality of God that we might have our own way, which is a way of misery and pain and suffering. Have you come to Christ? Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our Internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our minister of community connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcomed at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.